It is good to sing the scriptures together. I am thankful for that. Thankful for how we can take tunes that we know are familiar to us, tunes like Amazing Grace, and set them to words, set them to good biblical words. Not that Amazing Grace is not, it is, but to be able to sing them with other psalms, with other tunes as well. That's a that's a powerful thing. So we obviously are going to be looking at Psalm 12 this evening. Um, so again, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you now to turn with me to uh, Psalm chapter 12. And we're going to read this again together one more time, just right where you are seated. Um, but before we do that, um, we're actually, in looking at Psalm 12, we're going to be taking a different approach uh, to our psalm study this evening. You see, for the past few weeks, whether you were with us last Sunday or um, the prior two Wednesdays before that, when we were doing our psalm study through our prayer gathering on Wednesday nights, you probably noticed that we had been praising God for who he is and praising God for what it was that he has done. And so what we were looking at in Psalm 111, 112, and then again in 113 is we were looking really at psalms of praise, praising God for who he is, praising God for what he has done. But now what I want us to do is I want us to move back into Psalm 12, which can actually best be described as a community lament. And so what we're going to see, and we've already heard it read, we've now sung it, and we're going to read it again and break it down, is we're going to see the faithful begin to pray for deliverance from the wicked. And yet at the same time, in the midst of praying for this deliverance, they're going to issue a statement of confidence in what it is that the Lord can do. Okay, so that's what we're going to be looking at as we study Psalm 12 together. So let's just go ahead and read this again together. This is Psalm 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Now again, as you can see, it's almost... As we're walking through Psalm 12 together, it really almost begins to feel like a, a roller coaster ride, if you will, as we begin working up and down through the different emotions that we see happening, whether it's from the faithful themselves or whether it's from the, the fallen and the hurt and the downtrodden to even just trusting in the Lord himself and what he can do. So let's just go back and look at this uh, just individually, if we could, for a moment. Back in verse 1, again, if you highlight or underline in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline line or highlight the word save there um, because that's just a great place to start. You see, the word saved actually in Hebrew literally means help. 
So what we have here is a word that is used uh, that is indicative of actual need. So what we have here is we see the cry of the faithful, and they are not just crying, crying out for a simple felt need. And here, let me define that a little bit better. They're not crying out because they're looking for a dinner. Um, they're not crying out because they're like, man, I forgot to eat lunch, so a cheeseburger sounds really good, although I'm quite confident they probably didn't have cheeseburgers. Um, I, it's not one of those moments where they were crying out just because the day was hot and they were hoping for cool weather. No, what we have here is they are literally crying for true help. They are crying for some sort of deliverance that is now needed in their life. And so we get further into verse 1, uh, really the next phrase, after saying, save or help O Lord, for the godly one is gone. Now, this is an interesting phrase right here in Psalm 12 because you see the psalmist here is actually referencing back to 1 Kings chapter 19. So this is similar to what Elijah was saying and what Elijah was experiencing when in 1 Kings chapter 19, he felt alone in his devotion to the Lord. So you see, when we see that the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man, literally what we have is we have the psalmist along with the faithful of God, though present in their worship with the Lord, they, we now realize and know that all of a sudden the faithful have now grown quiet. They've grown distant and they almost seem absent when it comes to collectively worshiping together. And so this feeling of loneliness has now taken over the, the faithful. Now already, this is just in verse one, and you could actually pause right here. And again, if you are looking for some historical modern context for your passage, this is a great spot to mark September 13th, 2020, living in the midst of COVID. I mean, really, that's what we can put here. Because how many of us as faithful believers, as we've walked this COVID season together, how many of us have dealt with those bouts of loneliness, dealt with those bouts of longing to be with the faithful believer? I can go ahead and say to you and attest that as your pastor, and I know Pastor Corey felt the same way, um, I am thankful by God's grace that we had technology to be able to show our services during this COVID season. However, I will be the first to admit and acknowledge uh, there is nothing more depressing, there is nothing more lonely than staring at a camera because you're literally staring at empty faces. And so no matter how often we stood here uh, facing this way, even as we tried to visualize the people in the room and where people saw or sat, it still didn't come close to to the body being gathered together. And so there was loneliness that was being expressed. There was loneliness that was being felt and felt. In fact, one of the things that I've been hearing more often, whether it's been phone calls or text messages or emails uh, from even our own people, when I ask them, how are you doing? They say, well, I'm struggling. And you would think it would be finances or lack of job. In fact, we got one of our members who uh, she has recently lost her job. And so I anticipated job loss. I anticipated lack of income. I said, well, what, what's grieving you the most? What's hurting the most? And she said, the fact that I can't be around the body of believers right now. And it's, it's, it's not because I just, I just refuse to. 
but it's because we can't gather. Now, this was obviously earlier in the COVID season. And so by God's grace, uh, we have been able to open. But the reality is we still have people who are sitting at home. In fact, um, I, I see the cameras on. And so we're recording this again tonight. So this will go out to our people. And so I know that later this week, there are people who are watching this who have not had the opportunity to be out and to enjoy that sweet fellowship. You see, that's the beauty of the church, is we not only come together to be able to worship God, so there's this kind of vertical experience happening, if you will, where we come and we praise God, but there's also a horizontal uh, practice or concept to it as well, where we get to worship together with like-minded believers. You see, there's something good and right about being with the gathered body and praising God for who he is. And so already in verse one, we're now seeing this cry for help because now all of a sudden the faithful, though knowing they're there together, they are now scattered and now they are sensing that loneliness with comes with not being together. Now we move from there into verses two uh, through four. And I want to pick this up a little bit now because what happens now is all of a sudden the focus of the speech um, here becomes, uh, the focus becomes the wicked and how they lie with their words. In fact, the psalmist says here that everyone utters lies. Now, by speaking this phrase, they're literally saying of these faithless false teachers, they now speak falsely for the purpose of leading people astray. Now you get a little further down and you see a prayer, if you will, of asking the Lord in verse three, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips. Now this phrase cut off is actually very interesting here in Psalm 12 because it's not just a simple call of asking God to silence the false teachers. It's not just asking God to silence the accusers and silence their words, but rather they are now asking God to remove them from their community. Now, we need to pay attention to this because we've already begun to see the similar phrasing play out much later as we've walked through Titus and as we've walked through 1 Timothy. You've already, you see, we've already seen these false teachers, and like we talked about earlier today with 1 Timothy, a couple weeks ago with Titus, we've already seen Paul call to Titus and to Timothy and say of these false teachers, just cut them off. And now again, it's not just simply a silence them, rather it's a remove them. Okay, so now think about that for a moment because what we're beginning to see from both the psalmist here this evening, um, the psalm of David, if you will, but then also from Paul later in the New Testament is they're literally saying this, look, if there are people who are in sin, now this particular sin is hurling false accusations or teaching false doctrine. If there are people who are doing that, then confront them on it, confront them on their sin. However, recognize this. If they're unwilling to come to repentance, then remove them from the community. Now, some people at this point would say, man, doesn't that seem a bit harsh? But here's the reality. Look at Matthew 18. When we see biblical confrontation, it says that if we see our brother sin, what are we to do? We are to go to them first. And if they choose to continue into their sin, what do we do? Then we bring a witness with us and we go to them again. And if they continue in their sin, what do we do then? We then bring brothers with them. The elders now come. And if they still choose their sin, 
over repentance, over grace, than over Christ, then the most gracious act we can do as believers at that point is to bring them before the church and then cut them off. You see, here's the reality. There can be no place for false teaching in the church. There can be no place for false accusations in the church. And so that's why throughout the Bible we see that we are to be careful with our speech. Now we move from there and we see that all of a sudden still into verse 4 it says that those who say, now here are the false teachers, um, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us. Now notice this, by saying this phrase, with our tongue, and the phrase following, these false leaders now believe that they are going to win the day with their empty words. Now just think about that for a moment, because here's the reality. People can win the day with empty words. We've seen that. We've seen people lie and get away with it. It happens all the time. But here comes the problem. There is a day coming where you will stand before judgment or that person will stand before judgment and at that moment, if they have not repented of what it is they have said, then they are going to be held accountable. You see, the Bible is very clear when it says that there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, that's a beautiful day for the believers in Christ, but the reality is even on that day, the false teachers of the world, these, these faith healers of the world, these prosperity gospel preachers of the world, they are going to fall to their knees and declare for the first time that Jesus alone is Lord. Now, I know some of us may be feeling a bit self-righteous and going, right on, let's bring on that day. And you probably got a couple people that just popped in your head like mine did of going, I want to be beside that dude on that day because I want to watch him panic. But the reality is that should grieve our soul because on that day, it will be too late. We move from there and we see again, coming back to this phrase with our tongue. Now think about this for a moment. I want to come back to this phrase one more time. With our tongue, they say we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Now, let's just, again, read, it, read that again and let that sink in. There are people. Okay, here's what the Psalm of David is acknowledging. There are people who call themselves followers of God. There are people who call themselves followers of God who think that they can bring down leaders, who think that they can bring down Christian leaders, who think, like in this psalm, they can bring down the church by their words simply because they don't like what's happening. I mean, just think for a moment the pure arrogance in that statement, to be able to say, who is master over us? Well, now here, you, you, you can stop there at this point. And if anybody ever says that to you, you can pause them at this point because what we clearly have happening is now all of a sudden, that person has made themselves an idol believing that they are greater than God. 
So when we look at this statement, we have to realize that this may be the most arrogant statement that could ever be made. And yet, sadly, this is not only happening in Psalm 12. We already see this in 1 Timothy that we're walking through now. We've already, Paul has already dealt with this in Titus. He actually talked about it in Acts chapter 20 and then in several of his other letters. But then here we are in the modern day church and the same thing is happening in our churches where there are people who come and they believe that their words are greater than the very word of God. They believe their words or their opinions are more important than the Bible. And that's true of our culture today. Now we move from there and we get into verse 5. And here's where God speaks. He says, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. Now here we see the Lord is clearly, clearly hearing the cries of his people. And so here is his response. And what's interesting is when you read Psalm 12 verse 5, it actually parallels a moment that we read about back in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 33 verse 1, when God says of himself, he says, now I will arise, now I will lift myself up, now I will be exalted. Now, let's just think about these words in Psalm 12, verse 5, in light of Isaiah 33, verse 1. Notice this, that even in moments of deliverance, when deliverance comes, it happens on God's timetable. You see, we can't rush the will of God. We can't plan the will of God. We can't all of a sudden say, Lord, deliver me from this situation. And oh, by the way, let me hand you a fast pass to make this happen. Okay? God's deliverance is going to happen on his timetable. Because the reality is this, if anybody is going to be praised for God's deliverance, if anybody deserves to be praised, it will be God alone. And that's why it all happens according to his timeline and not our own. Now we move from there into verse 6. And again, here comes the psalmist back saying that the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground that is purified seven times. Now here we have just really this is our statement of confidence here about the Lord. Here we see that God's word itself is pure. And then the analogy we are giving is a silver that has been refined, that has gone through a seven-step purification process in order to make it pure. So what we have here is we are seeing that unlike the false teachers and their lies and their hypocrisy, God and his word can be trusted because he always fulfills his promises. You see, notice what this psalm is now doing in the midst of 
dealing with wicked people, in the midst of dealing with false teachers, in the midst of dealing with this isolation and this aloneness, all of a sudden we see the words of the Lord and how the time will happen for deliverance when he wants it to happen and it'll happen the way he desires for it to happen. And then all of a sudden the focus now shifts from our worries back to God and we are saying, Lord, we trust your word because we've seen you fulfill your word through your promises and we know that you can and will do it again. So you see, that's the beauty for us as believers today. If God fulfills his promises throughout the Old Testament, if he has fulfilled his promises throughout the Psalms, if he has fulfilled his promises throughout Isaiah and Jeremiah, We see promise fulfilled through the Gospels as we see the coming of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and ultimately his resurrection. We see the promise of the fulfillment of the New Testament church according to Acts and then the following letters. If God can do all of that, then surely we can trust God's words in knowing that he will deliver us again knowing that it is God who is provider and sustainer. And so when we say words like God is sovereign, we can now trust those words because we've already seen that truly God is in total control. And if he was in total control throughout the word, then we can rest in knowing that he's in total control even of our days. Now we come into the verse 7 and 8. And here uh, the focus comes back uh, to our prayers to, to God for deliverance. And so what we have here is because of God's assurance to his people, um, we now can trust in the deliverance of God. But then notice how the psalm ends with words of peace here. And it ends not only with words of peace, but it ends with the wicked may turn the world upside down but notice what it says of God it says but God will guard us from this generation forever this was in verse 7 now again if you're underlining in your bible I would underline that phrase God will guard us from this generation and I would circle the word forever you see God will always care for his people now I love it again the word forever here in Hebrew literally means for eternity So now think about this in verse seven, when you read, and oh Lord, you will keep them, Lord, you will guard us from this generation for all eternity. So as long as this world lasts until the coming kingdom of God, we can rest as believers in knowing that God will care for his people. And so as faithful followers today, followers of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we can now rest in knowing that no matter what the world may bring us, we can know that the Lord is with us. It doesn't matter the hurricane or the the pandemic or the political fire within our country. God is still sovereign. God is still with us we still remain in his hand. And so as believers in Christ, we can rest in knowing 
that God is in complete and total control. That is the power of the word in Psalm 12 and the promise and the statement of confidence that we as believers can hold on to today. So having said that, I want to lead us through a time of focused prayer. This is where we're going to pray Psalm 12 uh, just back over our lives and pray for specific areas according to Psalm 12. So if you would, um, let's just enter a time of prayer right now with head bowed, eyes closed, and let's just begin this time together. And again, like we did last week, I just want to instruct you and encourage you through this time. So let's pray. Lord, we come before you. We come before you broken. We come before you alone. Father, we come before you feeling as though no one is around us. And so, Father, we pray that you remind us that we are not only surrounded by you, but we are surrounded by the faithful. Though we may not see them, though we may not often hear them, Father, we know that those who believe in you are there and they are present. At this time, I'm going to ask for the next few moments, if you would pray or praise the Lord for someone in your life who has been an encouragement to you. Lord, we thank you for those like-minded people who've been an encouragement to us. And Father, we pray now that you would forgive us of where we ourselves have spoken falsely of you. Father, we pray that you would forgive us of those words. But God, we also pray that you would convict those both outside of the church but also within the church. God, convict us all of the words that we say. And Father, for the people who, who teach things that are not true according to your word, Father, we pray that you would convict them of their words as well. At this time, I would ask that you pray for God's sweet spirit, his spirit of unity to be within our church. Lord, we pray by your sovereign hand and your sovereign grace that, Father, if you, as you look upon our community, if you see the need to remove people from within our community because of sin that they're unwilling to let go of, then by, Father, your grace, we pray that your will would be done.
at this time I would ask that you pray for the boldness to have hard conversations with the people we love, whether it's conversations we need to have or whether it's humility to hear the conversations that may come our way. Father, we ask now that you help us to remember. Help us to remember that you have promised to uphold us. Father, help us to remember that your promises are true. And even in the midst of a broken world, we can know and rest in knowing that you will always be true to your word. At this time, I would ask that you praise God Praise him for being faithful to his promise. Praise him for being faithful to his word. Praise him for his promise of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask now that you would help us to remember that no matter what tomorrow may bring, you are the one, you have your eyes on us. Help us to remember that you will lead us, that you will guide us according to your word, that Father, you are the one who provides and sustains because you uphold us. And Father, help us to remember that that is a promise that we can hold on to for all eternity until the day that we are reunited with you. At this time, praise God again for his promise to us that will last from now into eternity. The fact that he alone provides, that he alone sustains. Father, now we ask that you hear our prayers. God, I pray that as your people, we would not only find ourselves in the midst of 
studying your word to better know and understand who you are. But God, I pray that we would find ourselves just just overwhelmed by your grace, overwhelmed by your love and your truth. And so, Father, I pray that even as we seek times to study your word, God, help us to also make the time to pray, to talk to you, to listen, and to praise you for who you are and what it is that you have done. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the cries of help. And at the same time, we praise you for the confidence of deliverance that is seen right here in your word according to Psalm 12. And so, Father, no matter what our life may bring, no matter what happens tomorrow, may we always be able to look to you as our provider, our protector, and our sustainer. God, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And we thank you for your peace. Now, Father, continue to be with us and walk with us. Prepare us for what you will do this week. And may you and you alone be glorified in the days ahead. Hear our prayers, O Lord, our God. Amen.